the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name's Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 245. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. Stella is not here this episode, but we are covering everything from March 18th through March 31st, including the WonderCon panel that took place that I talked about and I live-tweeted online for those of you who were paying attention on Twitter. We also have solicitations and sales numbers, so let's dive into it. So let's talk sales numbers first for February 2018. Not a whole lot of really big news without any Doomsday Clock or Dark Knight's Metal happening in the month of February. The highest book for the month was actually the Dark Knight's Rising tie-in, The Wild Hunt, which was 101,000. Batman stays on top underneath there in the number three and number four spot with about... On average, 94,000 issues per. White Knight continues to surprise everybody and continues to dominate with 77K, which I've been loving White Knight, quite honestly. That's amazing. But I don't think anybody in their right mind would have assumed that this miniseries would have sold as much as it has been. So props to that. Not through the issues. Like, it hasn't fallen off. You know, normally it's like the number one comes out and then it's like half. But this one's like 77,000 copies is... That's yeah, it, keep, it actually keeps going up because issue five, which came out in February, sold 73K and issue number five sold 77K. So almost so over 4,000 additional issues, which is insane in the larger scheme of things. Because that never happens. Because that just, like yeah, a, it just doesn't happen. So, I mean, well, good press. Nobody's, I haven't seen anybody bash in the book. I think everybody loves it. Yeah, I think the vast majority of people have been loving it. I've seen Sean Murphy make a couple of comments on Twitter about... Some people saying they have issues with it, but it's just, you know, the random fan. One guy in the corner. Exactly. The random fan that just doesn't like something and that there's always going to be that no matter what. So outside of that, uh, not a whole lot of surprises. The one thing of note is that uh, Batman and the Signal, which the previous month was in the top 10, which I think a lot of people could have been surprised by. But again, it might have had something to do with Scott Snyder's name being on the book. That second issue came out in February, and that dropped a total of 24,000 issues, or a variance of about 40%. So that's not always good, but it is a mini-series, so... It's that number one, right? It is. They slam a number one on the title, and people just flock to it. I, I think that is the case, but the one thing that's interesting is also in February was the Brave and the Bold Batman Wonder Woman. And that only sold 42k, which I thought was a little bit low, but I... but. Then again, I don't know. Maybe it'll be one of those books that you know picks back up, like like White Knight, where the other ones sell because that also got really good ratings online as well. So that is kind of low for that book. You'd think with Batman, Wonder Woman number one, like hmm, yeah, that's interesting. So outside of that, all the other numbers are on the site. I implore you to check them out. Jessica takes her time every single month putting these together and i know that i'm not the only one who appreciates these sales numbers as there are other people who have commented over on the website if you enjoy the sales numbers be sure to comment on the sales number articles thanking jessica for spending the time putting those articles together dustin isn't the only person on the podcast who's who's thankful for the articles too that's true because i like them as well thank you 
Yes. All right. So then next bit of news. So before we get into solicitations, solicitations were coming out in the last two weeks. But right before solicitations released, there was a couple of quick, small announcements. First one up is just when we thought Batman 66 was all done last summer, they the last Batman 66 crossover that they had, which was Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77, and then followed by a Batman 66 meets the Legion of Superheroes. Those ran down last June, I want to say, is when the that Legion it. of Superheroes one shot came out. And at that point, we thought that Batman 66 was just going to, it was going to be not dead, but it lasted multiple years at that point. On the shelf for a while. Yeah, and that point, it lasted like over four years between the main series and the crossover series that they had with the Green Hornet, the Man from Uncle, Mrs. Mrs. Peel, and Mr. Steed. So, or Steed and Peel, I should say. So the thing is, just when you thought that there wasn't going to be any more, they announced that there is. So it turns out Batman is going to be borrowed over to Archie Comics because we're going to see Archie meets Batman 66, which is going to be a six-issue miniseries coming from Jeff Parker, who is one of the main writers for the Batman 66 line, uh, along with Michael Morakai, maybe? Sounds about right. Archie Comics mainstay Dan Parent will be doing the art. And the first issue will release in July, so I'm not sure exactly why it got announced in this round of news, considering they were about to release solicitations for June. But it's not coming out till July, and when it does come out, it will be avail- there will be a number of variants available for it. But it's a cross-branding between Archie Comics and DC Comics, but it's actually coming from Archie Comics not DC. Some of you might not have any idea what that means, but when they cross-brand the stuff, like we saw with Dynamite, I think it was, yeah, Dynamite, who did, who cross-partnered with DC for the Shadow and Batman crossover, and then there, or first it was Batman the Shadow, then it was the Shadow Batman, which was a second six-issue miniseries, and that one was co-branded as well, but it was, it was Dynamite actually publishing it. We've seen it Something very similar with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, because we have, I believe it's IDW, who's doing the Turtles at this point. We had the James Tynion Turtle series, and then shortly after that first volume wrapped up, they had a, a second series that was the animated versions of the Turtles, which was actually put out by IDW instead. That's basically what's happening at this point. So... If you are interested in Archie Comics, which I know when I was a kid, I loved Archie Comics. I don't keep up with them anymore. But those digests were things that I always used to take with me when my parents forced me to go on road trips. So I wonder what the sales numbers would be like for Archie anymore. Don't know. No idea at this point. All right. So outside of that, the other big announcement for June is that Justice League will be relaunching with a new number one. Justice League will be releasing still twice per month at this point. It's going to be headed by Scott Snyder, which we already knew. Jim Chung and Jorge Jimenez are going to be doing the art, uh, alternating on art at this point. You know, that obviously will change because, as we know, there tends to be some issues with only having two artists because even having an artist do one issue per month tends to eventually catch up to them. That being said, the team is actually going to be shifting. There's going to be some new members, not new members, but old members returning to the lineup. Martian Manhunter, Hawkgirl, John Stewart, Green Lantern are all going to be on the team as well as the mainstays of Aquaman, Cyborg, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Flash. Hal Jordan is not involved in the lineup anymore. If you <laughs> noticed from the lineup that I just mentioned, it sounds outside of Cyborg, it sounds extremely similar to 
Justice League and Justice League Unlimited's lineup. And Scott Snyder has actually commented on Twitter that that could be on purpose because that's his that that his influence. That's his Justice League. Yeah. Or Justice League comes from those cartoons. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting this. What I really want, and this is never going to happen. Well, maybe it'll happen, Scott, if you're listening, or who, anybody else. Remember the old school Justice League? They had the roll call at the beginning because you never knew yeah. what characters were going to be in it. Have yeah. so many characters that we go back to that again. That was always fun. Remember, you don't just like, well, who's in this issue? Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, you know what? I support that idea completely. And on top of that, he actually did say that even though the lineup will consist of these this main roster, the books will showcase a number of different characters from the DC Universe. Different stories will involve different characters. And even though the stories will focus on, you know, focus on different missions and things like that or different situations, the main lineup should show up in every single issue with supporting characters alternating and the supporting characters would be... He rattled off a humongous list, but the list was like crazy, like Doctor Fate, Adam Strange... Plastic Man. He 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 just was listing off all kinds of crazy but characters. That kind of makes sense to me because if you want to tell a Batman story, there's a Batman book. You know what I mean? Like Wonder Woman story, there's a Wonder Woman book. So give a chance to shine on some of these characters that we don't get to see all the time. So that's the big thing. We'll get to the other Justice League books in a minute when we get to the news from WonderCon. Solicitations then came out, and solicitations for June have a bunch of different things, but. We already talked about how there's going to be the preludes to the wedding, the five one-shots in June featuring Robin, Nightwing, Batgirl, Red Hood, and Harley Quinn. Noticeably absent, as we pointed out before, is Tim Drake. That's happening. Mikkel Janin is going to be taking over for 48 and 49 on Batman. We already talked about the relaunch of Justice League. The Teen Titans and Titans are both receiving specials for the month of June. They're literally just called Teen Titans Special Number One, but that'll get explained in a minute here too. Because for whatever reason, I don't. I guess the they they really wanted to announce it at whatever the direction they were going with those books at WonderCon, even though it really wasn't that big of an announcement, and they just needed to have that special as I guess that filler. Whatever. Anyway, several books this month will also see new writers taking over, but at this point it's not known if any of these are permanent. Sean Alderidge is taking over duties on Batgirl. Christopher Sabella is taking starts a run on Harley Quinn, which we before we get to the end of the news we'll know that that is only for a short time. Brian Hill will be taking over Detective Comics in a story that features Black Lightning. Hill has said that, as I said earlier, that he's only attached for five issues, which will bring us to the middle of August. Birds of Prey and Super Sons both end in May. There are absolutely no new announcements for either one of these groups of characters. However, Damien and John will be showing up in the Super Sons Dynamut special as part of the latest crossovers involving Hanna-Barbera. Why not? Bombshells United last print issue releases in June, along with the final issue of the Bane Conquest miniseries. Also mentioned uh, last month when we talked about solicitations, the second and final book of Batman the Dark Prince Charming is releasing. July will see two more miniseries end, and then the and then whenever the final issue of Batman Creature of the Night has yet to be solicited at this point, even though issue number three was originally solicited for back in February, and now at this point is releasing, I believe, at the end of April. So who knows when issue four will ever release, if it ever does. But when it does, that's a lot of miniseries that are ending in the coming months that have yet to have any sort of announcement to as a replacement. Not that they necessarily have to do with Batman, but there seems to be a sudden lack of... Not lack. I should never say lack. I'm going to say, lack of Batman might be the wrong word. 
Yeah. Yeah. There, there's always a massive amount of Batman. But what I meant to say was there is a lot of Batman books. The number of Batman books has been slowly, slowly going down. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, man. That creates a little bit less work on my end over on the website for all the books that we, we cover and things like that. And it, it starts freeing up some of the, the comic reviewers to do other, some unique articles and things like that. But obviously, the the amount of books going down, that tends to be a very short, short situation where there tends to be a bunch of more books that end up coming out after that. So I'm expecting either in July and August for some other stuff to be happening, whether it be mini series or whatever. So just be on the lookout for that. Another couple things of worth noting. As we know, Nightwing was made monthly in May and the price point raised up to $3.99. Suicide Squad is now switching over to monthly in June and will be going up in price as well. Staying on the twice monthly schedule, Scott Snyder coming on to Just League is still going to be enough to raise the issue price to $3.99, even though it's going to be coming out twice per month. So that whole, the twice per month books that are coming out, staying at $2.99, it's just, it's not going to be happening for very much longer. Negative. I'm guessing, I'm guessing at this point, with Suicide Squad going monthly, Nightwing going monthly, Green Arrow, Deathstroke, Aquaman, all went monthly way a while back. All those books went monthly and went up in price. Batman, Detective Comics, Justice League... Are the I don't know what else, but I believe all the Superman books are all going monthly starting in in July as well. Because I don't know how Brian Michael Bendis could possibly be doing two issues of Superman, two issues of Action Comics, and whatever the other one is. I think he's doing some other series too. Yeah, he can't. It's not possible. I feel like there's three books, but they're all monthly, so that it's you know that's what it is. So it'll just be Batman and Detective when this is all said and when the dust settles. And and Justice League with Scott Snyder. That's it at this point that I that I'm aware of. Is Snyder's book two, is twice a month? Yes, it is. And no, I don't know if Wonder Woman's still twice per month either because I'm not keeping I up. I Think it is right now, but I don't know because I, I I honestly when we put these solicitations together, I don't always pay attention to all of the other titles unless it has something to do with Batman. So maybe Wonder Woman is still monthly too, or twice per month, I should say. But needless to say, if Justice League is going up in price but staying twice per month, and Batman and Detective end up only being being the only other series that are twice per month, it's only a matter of time before they go up in price too. So, so is it just Snyder's? Yes, just Snyder's. The regular, the other two Justice League books are going to be once a month. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about those in a second. Finally, there are a couple of appearances from TBU characters in some other series. The Batman vs. Deathstroke continues in the pages of Deathstroke. The Batman Who Laughs appears in The Immortal Men number 3. And the continued appearance of Huntress in The Hellblazer and Talia al Ghul in The Silencers continues as those characters have been popping up beginning couple months back. I mean, Huntress was in Hellblazer just this past week. So the full list of solicitations can be found over on the site. Not a whole lot of surprises here. It feels like this is just biding some time. The thing is, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, so they released, you know, they announced all the stuff having to do with the Just League titles. Whatever's happening with the Bat books, because obviously somebody else is going to be coming on to Detective Comics to take that book towards 1,000, and they'll probably do something similar with this big special 1,000 issue, like they're doing for Action Comics. So, like, somebody's still going to have to tell some story between the time Brian Hill gets done telling his short five-issue story arc and issue 1,000. So there's bound to be some sort of announcement with that. 
But the thing is, it's going to happen either in August or they're going to play the game where they just have fill-ins because they need to announce this stuff some other time. I don't know why they keep doing this, but... No, just tell us what's going on. It seems there's some weird stuff going on, like having Harley Quinn have creative team and then taking the the creative team and they're ending in April. There's no new Harley Quinn titles from her her normal series in May. Instead, they have a a two-issue miniseries publishing. June is filled in by basically a one-issue, two-issue story arc by somebody who's not on the book permanently. Batgirl has something very similar happening where the main creative team is not on the book in June. I feel like something else is going to happen. The only big convention that's coming up is C2E2, which is actually happening as you're listening to this. It's happening this weekend. And DC is there and will have a presence, and there are creators there and they have panels. But I don't know that they're going to be announcing a whole lot of stuff. I mean, that obviously could change. Maybe maybe C2E2 becomes the place where they announce a ton of bat news. I don't know. But there is nothing after that major conventions that is until San Diego. Yeah, because this, so, this is kind of the big convention season. Yeah. And I know there are some smaller ones, but nothing that I... Th- not like the scale of C2E2 or Comic-Con, even WonderCon or Emerald City Comic-Con. Nothing on that large of a scale where I could see them making huge amount of announcements so i feel like if we don't hear something at c2e2 we're probably going to just get it through press releases and that's that's it so press releases which means it won't be earth shattering news just creative team changes and stuff like that yeah all right march 21st dc announced that uh, they have a sequel comic series that is tying into the suicide squad hell to pay Conveniently, which was really weird, the sequel series actually launched uh, the day, the the right before the animated film uh, released digitally. The animated film is still not available on in, on Blu-ray or DVD. It, it actually releases on April 10th. It came out digitally on the 27th, but the first chapter actually released for this sequel series. A week prior to the release of the movie, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking with that. Sure, it's twelve, ch- it's twelve chapters. It's going to release over the course of three months that it takes to you release one chapter. So you can look for that if you are interested in that. It's interesting that they chose to do this one with all of the animated movies that they've had. There's only been a few over the last couple of years that have had comic tie-in issues or series, I should say. So. Take a look at that if you're interested. March 23rd. <laughs> now, you can't just skip over this one. This this story is so weird that if it came out on April 1st, I would have assumed it was a joke. All right, March 23rd. <laughs> so weird. It was announced that Frank Miller will be writing a young adult Carrie yeah. Kelly story. That's right. Just say it again. That guy, Frank Miller, the one that you know who wrote such titles as The Dark Knight Returns, Dark Knight Strikes Again, the recent DK3 Master Race, he's going to be doing a young adult series. And his other works like Sin City and things like that make the Batman stuff look tame. So basically th- this announcement came out of like complete left field. Basically what happened was they DC announced that they had signed Frank Miller for a five project deal. It was already previously announced that he was going to be doing a graphic novel type story. I don't know if it's going to be like one volume or right or it'll be it'll be something like DK3 where it comes out over multiple issues, but it's called Superman Year 1 and it's his origin for superman basically and they he he's talked about this since the beginning of the launch of dk3 which was back in 2016 or 2015 geez 
he's talked about this. He's been talking about this for a long time. But DC announced that you know the Black Label. We talked about this before. One of the titles that was immediately connected to the Black Label stuff was this Frank Miller Superman Year One story. Now DC then announced right before WonderCon or like the day that WonderCon started that they had signed a five project deal with Frank Miller and the projects that they basically announced at this point were he's doing Superman Year One and then he's got this other project that he's doing and it was very it what was interesting was if you read the press release it was like one little snippet inside this massive like seven eight paragraph press release talking about it was just basically like one sentence saying his next project after Superman Year One will be a young adult Carrie Kelly graphic novel I can't and I just was like, what? What? This this doesn't even compute, right? Like, So the other part of this is, this also kind of was like, what, when it came to the Black Label stuff, because we weren't really sure what Black Label really meant. They announced it. They prepped it up, and they basically said, you know, it's it's stuff that has, you know, like we heard about the Scott Snyder Greg Capullo project. We heard about Ezra and Lee Bermejo, who have done stuff in the past, gritty, gritty stuff like joker the joker graphic novel and we've heard we heard about the superman year one which was frank miller which we just assumed because it's frank miller gonna be frank miller yeah but then all of a sudden this carrie kelly young adult graphic novel is suddenly or project is just suddenly become a young adult and i was like well then what exactly is black label now it wasn't part of the press release but the next day at wondercon during the publishers panel that they live streamed online they actually talked about for a while what dc black label was and they explained a little bit better so it's not necessarily meant to be a label that is mature gritty it's it's now basically it is elseworlds 2.0 it's elseworld yeah it's just Elseworlds. That's all it is. That's all it Why is. Why do you use the name Elseworlds? I don't know. <laughs> like The thing is, they, they, they talked about this for a while. It turns out when Jim Lee became co-publisher with Dan DiDio, one of the things he really wanted to make happen was, and they, they tried their darndest not to say the words Elseworlds, but they just kept saying, like, we do, we wanted to really do be able to do stories that aren't connected to continuity, give creators the free will to tell their stories in whatever way they want, using the characters that already exist. And I'm, as they're saying this, I'm just like, just say Elseworlds. You know that we know what you're just saying. Say it. But they don't want to say Elseworlds because they're trying to make it seem like this is some brand new initiative. So basically, DC Black Label is out-of-continuity stories with big-name creators, and the creators will be able to dictate all kinds of unique things. Like... They can dictate their schedule. They can dictate the format that it gets released in. So if they want it to be a graphic novel, it can be a graphic novel. If they want it to be a mini series or a maxi series, they have the ability to do whatever they want when, when it comes to that. They also have the ability to decide the, sh- the size of the book. So they, 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 they spent a little bit of time with this, even though no, they didn't have an artist specifically talking about this, but they had... They were talking about how they could do bigger sizes or out of the ordinary sizes when it came to this stuff. And the why? F- and the first thing that came to my mind was it's interesting because when Dark Prince Charming, which is done by Enrico Marini, he's from France. And when he was doing, when they announced his project, there was questions about how they were going to publish it. Because in France, I guess the comics are horizontal instead of vertical. Really? That's my understanding. I could be completely wrong. I have no French comics. I've never read a French comic in my life, so I can't say. Never been to France. Never been to France. Closest I've been to France is the France Pavilion at Epcot. Fair enough. That is probably the basis of 
my knowledge, but my point is there was word on whether or not it could be in a different format because of that. And it really didn't turn into any different type of format other than what we're accustomed to. But based off of what they were saying, they were saying like the pages could be bigger. The books could be bigger. The books could be a different format. Why? I don't know why, but that's just what they were saying. They were just saying that like it could end up being different based off of whatever the artist wants to do. So if I guess if they decide that it needs to be a horizontal shaped type book, then that's what it'll end up being for whatever reason. Sure. Right. Can you imagine the horror show that will be our bookshelves if this gets out oh, yeah. of control? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, this this month's special black label comic book shaped like a cube. Like, I mean, listen, I think it's cool, but it's Elseworlds, right? It's Elseworlds. Call it Elseworlds. Everything old is now new again. And I I read this story like five times because it just, this doesn't compute. Right? Like, if I told you someone was writing a young adult Carrie Kelly story, and you know tons of creators by name, right? And I said it with a pen, how long would it take you to get to Frank Miller before you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I don't think I'd ever get to Frank Miller. Yeah, I mean, you'd be like, we can't be that guy. I mean, I guess it's moderately better than Alan Moore writing a young adult story, but not a lot better. So, I mean, he did create Carrie Kelly. Yeah, yeah they did. They, they had this promo video that they showed, like, some of the creators behind some of the books they had already announced. And Frank Miller was shown on the promo video talking about the Carrie Kelly book. And he basically said he wanted to try something completely outside of his wheelhouse and tried to do something that was, you know, meant for young adults. And I thought to myself, you know what? More power to him. If he wants to try to ex- expand his horizons and he wants to try to do something, you know, that's all on him. And if DC wants to allow him to, you know, basically do that by all means let them do it it's you know it's not my company if it was my company i might have some qualms about that but you know business-wise this makes sense because you know what that's true everyone's gonna read it like don't think for one second you're not like but both me and you we gotta admit it we're obviously huge batman comic fans we do a batman comic yeah. podcast right there's no chance I mean you don't read right. this right? exactly like even even if it's pure like i want to watch a train wreck you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a car accident. Stop and look at it. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think the same thing can be said about DK3. Like, I wasn't super excited about DK3 coming. Oh, sure. But that book sold crazy the entire time it was releasing, even with its massive delays and drawn-out story that I like, I didn't think was that great. It still sold massively. And a lot of it has to do Huge. with the fact that it was Dark yeah. Knight Returns. Part of it has to do with the name Frank Miller was attached to that book. So, like, I I don't have any doubt that the this Carrie Kelly book or series, whatever it turns out, will sell well. I just, I don't have any doubt in my mind. Not so. Um, it's just, it's just an interesting take. So, at least they're not letting him do the art. That's true. Because Frank is, a, is all joking aside, is a great writer. He's definitely more adult than most, right? But he's a great writer. But his art in DK three was bad. Remember the backups? Yeah, I remember them. Just to clear up any confusion, the artist actually that is attached to the Kerry Kelly thing is Ben Caldwell. And some of the art we actually have posted on the site, some of the concepts, it looks it looks appropriate for a young adult story. So at least it has that. It's very stylized. It looks kind of almost like a, a bridge between DC house style and anime. Like, yes. I, so, I mean, we'll all read it. Just when I first read it, I'm like, this can't. Okay. So. All right, so March 24th was the live stream, and there was a number of announcements that we have to share. 
So first up, Scott Snyder revealed some few, a few details about the upcoming Justice League series, including that the team will be based out of the Hall of Justice, the Legion of Doom will be returning, and that there will be portals within the Hall of Justice leading to the other team's bases. What other teams? Well, it turns out there's going to be two brand new teams that will spin out of the No Justice miniseries. One will be called Justice League Odyssey. The other will be called Justice League Dark. Starting off with Justice League Dark, it will be written by James Tyne the Fourth with art by Alvaro Martinez. Basically, the entire detective creative team is moving over to this title. The team will feature Wonder Woman as the leader with Satana, Detective Chimp, Swamp Thing, and Man Bat. Tynion has already promised that anyone within the DC Universe dealing with magic could end up in the series, and just because a character is not featured on the cover or mentioned as the initial member of the team doesn't mean they won't appear. He's already name-dropped, just like Snyder, that other characters like Dr. Fate, Clarion, magical characters will appear in this series as well. Then moving into the other series, which is Justice League Odyssey, this will be written by Flash scribe Joshua Williamson, with art by Stepjin Sedgik, and I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, I apologize. Yeah, that sounded right. He recently was on the Aquaman series. Before that, or, well, not before that, but he also did one of the Gotham Resistance tie-ins. I can't remember which one it was, oh, but that's right. he did a ton of concept art for the Gotham Resistance that tied into Dark Knight's Metal 2. Odyssey will focus on space-based stories and will feature Azrael, Starfire, Cyborg, Darkseid, and Jessica Cruz. Both titles are scheduled to ship in July for the first time, and they will be monthly, not twice per month, which means I'm guessing they're also $3.99, no doubt there. No. The metal event that has taken over the DC Universe has been marked success, and with it, the desire for DC to honor the past of their characters, but also push them into new directions. That was said almost as if a mantra by Scott Snyder like seven times during the streaming or the panel. Meanwhile, Teen Titans are about to experience a creative and team shakeup as Adam Glass will be taking over writing duties starting with the special previously announced for June. The team will feature Damian Wayne, Kid Flash, and Red Arrow, along with new teammates including the daughter of Lobo. That's right, Lobo has a daughter. Time will tell if her famous father makes an appearance. Meanwhile, over in Titans... Dan Abnett, who's currently writing Titans, he will stay on the series. That series will feature Nightwing and Raven leading the team as the team goes in a new direction, described by Snyder as the Justice League's training team. So Titans will become the training team for the Justice League. And the only thing that came to my mind when I was thinking of that was, so I don't I don't watch football, but the one football that I one thing about football that I watch is I watch HBO's Hard Knocks every year. And they always talk about how they have like this practice team after you get cut from the team. They're like, oh, we'd love to keep you on the practice team so you can practice. You still get a paycheck, but basically you're you're like the you're not even on the you're not first, second, third string. You're not even on the team practice squad. So that's what that's what came to my mind. Other announcements, as I mentioned earlier, DC Black Label, the imprint that is meant to be creator focused and not meant to be an adults only imprint. Rather, a showcase of top talent without the constraints of continuity or deadlines. Size, page count, trim size, and collected size are all up to the creators, giving them full reign over the stories they wish to tell. That said, Brian Azzarello's Batman Damned will be a grimy horror story, as he pointed out. Sure will. DC Zoom and DC Inc. imprints aimed at young readers have been pushed back to March of 2019 from this fall. That means the previously announced ones that were supposed to come out in October 
September and October of this year now will not release until next March. Publisher credits the success of DC Superhero Girls for helping create the imprints. Wrapping up, it's still your way, but Detective Comics number 1000 is coming in March of 2019, as mentioned by Dan DiDio in the final moments of the panel. The timing of the release means the title will continue to be bi-monthly until then. So... What do we think about all these announcements? I mean, specifically the Justice League announcements is the big stuff. The other stuff was just little news bits. A couple of things. I, I like it. Like, I, this is the Justice League, right? More than five members, Hall of Justice, blah, 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 blah. Like, of all the... How do I say this politely? Of all the, the flack, the flack that Scott Snyder has taken over the years of reinventing things, it seems like he is getting this one more grounded again. I'm sure the regular Justice League will be great. I like... Us going back to pre-New 52, I guess, self after far you'd have to go back, right? For a bigger world of Justice League. Remember, there was a world where Black Canary was the leader of the Justice League for a while, you know? The other two teams, the Odyssey one looks just, that's nuts, but we'll see how that goes. And then, of course, I guess we'll be covering Justice League Dark on the uh, podcast now, right? No, we will not. I mean, Detective Chimp, when was the last time you saw Detective Chimp frontlining a Justice League book? Well, not, I feel not. like this is an opportunity we could be missing. Yes, I know. No, I, I mean, I will definitely be reading that series, no no doubt about it. But oh, sure. uh, yes. we will cover both of the series on the website because, our, you know, the two of our favorite character, Azrael's over in Odyssey. Well, that really kind of got me, wasn't it? Like, why is he in Odyssey? Why is he in space? Did anyone need Azrael in space? Like, well, no, what's really interesting is I'm trying to figure out how he ends up on this team, considering his current situation where he's part of Batwoman's team with the Colony. I'm trying to figure out how they go from that to that, and we only have well, X amount of months to get there. I just, that's what plus, the thing that was interesting to me. Look look at the characters. It's, just, it's supposed to be the space book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Starfire belongs in space. Jessica Cruz, Green Lantern, works in space. Darkseid, space guy. Cyborg. He's a cyborg. He can go to space. And then there's Azrael. Like, listen, it might be fantastic. And I guess we're all assuming that it's going to be our Azrael, not the Michael version of the character. Yeah, I th- yeah. at this point. I mean, like, based off the costume, it seems like it's, it's definitely Sean Paul Valley. That and Michael Lane hasn't been introduced. Although I have to point out this not related to it, but there was a comment that Tynan had made a couple weeks ago on Twitter Somebody asked him, like, oh, you know, you're leaving Detective Comics. Was there any stories that you really wish you could have told? And one of the things that he said was, I had a really awesome John Paul Valley versus Michael Lane story that I wanted to do. But I just didn't have, it just wouldn't mm-hmm. have worked time-wise before I was off, you know, before I was going to get off the series. And I think that would have been interesting. The thing is, I think I liked Michael Lane better as Azrael. I do, too. Not even close for me. Yeah, I think it was like I just liked the that newer version of Azrael than I did of Jean Paul Valley. I think oh, Jean Paul Valley just he left a nasty taste in my mouth in the nineties, and I just don't think I could ever get over that. So I was about to say, is do you think that's what it is? Because I've noticed this, like guys like me and you that kind of got our our feet underneath us in the comic book world in the nineteen nineties, right? Do you think we're still just like bitter old men with an axe to grind because? I can't stay. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, a lot of it. I, I think a lot of it is that. I mean, I think the thing is, I think there's people who. I think like there are people out there who, you know, appreciate Azrael to a different degree. But I think the thing is, like, with the way that we read comics, Azrael was never portrayed as a likable character in the '90s. Even when he had his own series, and he wasn't even really related to the Bat Family, he just never was a super likable character. 
It was Mountain Dew Batman, right? The whole 90s, extreme, you know? like Yeah. Like, that's all he was, was extreme Batman. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's part of it is that I don't think that we as as readers in the 90s really cared. And then people who came in and maybe read his series, like, through Night, or, you know, Nightfall or read his actual series, you know, after, after it got republished in trade or whatever, they might have appreciated it a completely different way than we did when we read it back then. So... That could be it. The interesting thing for me was the Justice League Dark. I think it's, well, two things that I thought was really interesting. One, the entire creative team um, from Justice League, or from Detective Comics is just jumping over to this title. James Tynion is sticking with Avaro Martinez and Raul Fernandez, who have been doing a bunch of the stuff on Detective Comics. Man Bat on the team, because I don't really consider Man Bat to be that magical. If you read Dark Knight's Rise or Dark Knight's Rising, The Wild Hunt, which was the one that featured a heck of a lot of Detective Chimp, I am really glad that Detective Chimp is actually popping up in this series or is popping up in a series because some of the stuff they've dealt with Detective Chimp in Metal, there's so much more that they could go. There's so many, so much more they could tell with that character. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I don't really have any like other concerns about any of the characters on the series on the teams. I'm sure the Azrael thing will get explained, so I'm leaving it for there. I think it's interesting that Wonder Woman is the leader of the Justice League Dark team, but still will be the team, you know, still be on the Justice League itself. It's almost like she's got, like, her own squad, basically. But the Hall of Justice, if you read Dark Knight's Metal number 6, which, now that Dark Knight Metal's done, we will try to figure out a time in the near future to do a complete wrap-up of the entire series. But, like as I promised, but if you read Dark Knight Metal 6, at the very end, Bruce basically pitches to Wonder Woman and, and Superman that they're going to have the Hall of Justice. And I guess they're, we're just pretending like the Hall of Justice never existed before this, because whatever. But the Hall of Justice is going to have these portals that go to the different teams' bases. And the one thing that I was super excited about was the announcement of the Legion of Doom returning. Because the Legion of Doom, for me, has always been like the ultimate group of villains. I mean, I know that there's other groups of villains and things like that. But for me, as a comic reader and as a Bat fan, I always really liked Legion of Doom more so than, like, the crazy Earth-3, you know, the criminal society and things like that. Oh, the crime syndicate? Yeah. Yeah, crime syndicate. That's what it was. Like, I always liked the, just, like, the Legion of Doom because it just feels classic. Like, it probably has more to do with the fact that I used to watch Super Friends and, you know, the, the Legion of Doom was was always like the main group of villains that they always faced but like i don't know that's just one of the things that i think is really cool i'm i'm i'm, I'm excited about legion of doom hall of justice legion of doom it doesn't start to feel like more like a justice league book now oh yeah like, oh yeah like i mean i, I mean, think the yeah. thing is rebirth did did wonders for a number of different series and titles and characters but the just league books just they did not do those series a whole lot of justice in the initial beginning and that's not to say that like some of the stuff that has happened with Justice League of America or like Christopher Priest's run on Justice League have not been good or enjoyable but the thing is like the initial pop of what they did with Justice League just was not very good no it wasn't and the thing is like I feel like the team books in, in general like Team Titans has been has been okay it hasn't been amazing but it's been okay Titans has been pretty good 
Um, Justice of America, it's been okay. Um, Suicide Squad, which is not part of this, which I th- I keep seeing people confusing Suicide Squad, saying that it's going to be part of this shakeup after New Justice. It's not, unfortunately, at this point. It's not at all. Suicide Squad is going to go monthly, but that's the only change it's got right now. That book needs a serious shakeup too, but that's the last of this, the teen books that is that needs a serious shakeup. But everything else that's coming out of this, like I'm legitimately interested in all of the titles that they have announced, and you know, there's different reasons for each one of them. But I'm really excited. So yeah, I am too. All right. So the last bit of news we have was just came out just this past week on March 29th. It was announced that Harley Quinn will be getting a new creative team. So a book that's coming out in June is just basically a, a standalone. Basically, what's happening is uh, Sam Humphreys, who who was just on Nightwing, he's going to be jumping over Harley Quinn for a permanent set of time. We don't know exactly how long, but he said he's going to be on for at least, or he's going to be on for at least more than six issues. So however long that'll end up being. He's coming on the book with number 45. John Timms is going to be doing the art. He previously was doing art on Harley Quinn during the Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti run. They are taking Harley Quinn to Apocalypse. Sure. And Let's you know that. what? I Here's the thing. I When I first saw that she was going to be going to Apocalypse, I was kind of like, Really? What? And I was like, well, you know, Harley Quinn has basically been all over the freaking place the last, like, five years since her series kicked off during the in the New 52. She's been all over the place. She's had crossovers with a number of different characters. She's had miniseries. She's been everywhere. But the interesting thing about the details about this story was that she's heading to Apocalypse, and she's going to be offered a job by Granny Goodness to become part of the Female Furies. And at the time when I read this, I was kind of like, well, this just seems like off-the-wall bonker stuff like we've seen so many other times. But the explanation that Sam Humphreys actually said was that she goes to Apocalypse and she sees how things could end up being horrible. And she wants to see if she can embrace basically a planet full of wild cards. And then he said that this is his first step in bringing Harley Quinn back towards like the main DC universe and less of her being off on her own, which we've seen since she had her own miniseries. Like she rarely is included. Her character is included in other stuff, but the, her series has doesn't show any effects of what's going on elsewhere. Humphrey said he's specifically trying to bring her back into the fold of the DC universe and less out on her own. So, which is good. And I'm okay with that. I mean, like I, I'll be interested to see how this happens, how this all works out, you know, with her on apocalypse It'll be interesting nonetheless. I don't see, I don't think she's going to come in contact with Darkseid by any means because Darkseid's over in Justice League Odyssey. So, We're about to find out. I don't see that happening, but it could be interesting. I mean, I don't know. How, they didn't say exactly how many issues the story, the story on Apocalypse is going to take place. I also didn't see anything saying whether or not that series was staying twice per month or whether it was switching to monthly, but. We'll find out by the time July solicitations roll around. And that is all the news we have. Surprise, surprise. So, there was a decent chunk of news, and we spent a lot of time talking about some of this stuff, but that was there was a good chunk of stuff. So, we're going to jump into our comic reviews, and our very first book is Batman. Well, I'm going to save us some time from all of that news. This is a pretty simple comic to do. Batman number 43, everyone hates, everyone loves Ivy. Writer Tom King, artist Mikel Jana, and Hugo Petrus. This is pretty simple. Batman tries to convince Harley to help while Ivy is distracted by Batman 
trying to distract her with Harley. Catwoman kicks her in the head and knocks her out. Batman takes Harley to Ivy. Harley convinces Ivy that it's okay to be sad and that the world would be a better place, but she can't do this. And then it's revealed that Riddler actually killed the people that Ivy thought that she killed in the park. Because apparently the Riddler is now a full-fledged homicidal maniac. And he killed those people and blamed it on Ivy. And she relinquished the grip on the world. And Catwoman and Batman say everything is going to be all right. That's pretty much it. That's what happened. So the conclusion for this issue is that Harley Quinn essentially talks Ivy out of controlling the world. What do we think about this ending? Well, I'll say this. It was out of left field, that's for sure, because I don't think... I mean, like, we we figured that Harley Quinn was going to be involved in some way just because of the way the last issue ended. But the thing for me is, like, we assumed that the redeeming factor for Poison Ivy was going to be that somebody was telling her to do this or somebody was controlling her. And the thing is, I guess part of that is true, but not in the normal sense of things. Like, it, it's a very weird thing. The fact that, like... She was basically doing this to show that she can control herself into not doing murderous things. Like, Stuff? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I honestly wasn't a huge fan with the way everything wrapped up. There, there also, I don't know if a lot of people out there know this, but Tom King has another series that has been announced called, well, the working title. I don't know if it's actually going to be called this, but the working title is Sanctuary. And there's a, basically, it's supposed to be this place where superheroes or supervillains go to basically get their mind right because of PTSD situations that they experience while being heroes or villains or whatever. This is basically a backdoor pilot for that series because they they name drop the sanctuary. They take Poison Ivy to the sanctuary to basically get better or whatever. And... If I look at this as a backdoor pilot for that, okay, it's okay, but I'm not, you know, like, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to to base it off of a lead-up to a, a series that, one, that nobody talked about prior to this or continue to talk about it after the fact. They just basically left this little name drop of this place. But the thing is, like, as a standalone story ending, I don't think it was that great. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's an excuse to get the Gotham City Sirens back together, right? Like, but... So with the sirens, all three of them, Catwoman included, who is now about to become Bruce's wife, there needs to be some kind of mandate and pick what side these characters are going to go through, go on. Because these people go from villains to heroes to heroes back to villains constantly, right? Like, it's not like an occasional thing. The next time we reboot the universe and have a flashpoint or a crisis, I really wish they would sit down and figure out, are these three girls good or bad? Don't do the... When people say, oh, well, they're, they're anti-heroes, they're in the middle. Okay, that explains Catwoman to some degree, but that doesn't explain Ivy taking over the world, you know? So, not to mention, like, Ivy having this kind of power is a stretch for me with Ivy, you know? Like, the power to control the entire planet, that's a lot of power. That she can control Superman just like that? Like, I don't know. It seems like a stretch to me. I don't know. Other thing is, I'm going to bring this part up because I know for a fact you're a big Riddler, right? Yeah. And... Ever since the War of Joker and Riddles, maybe before that, it seems that the Riddler has become, like, I, well, I definitely could definitely go back to those Villains Month stuff since the New 52. Is it you, or does the Riddler just seem to be a bit of a homicid- homicidal maniac these days? Yeah, and I think it also was like that during Zero Year and Absolutely. the Villains Month. I, I think, the thing is, I liked the idea of the Riddler being slightly reformed, like, the way he was right before the New 52, where he was, like, that basically that private detective who was trying to solve stuff. 
I liked that version of the Riddler because it. Here's the thing: a lot of times the villains within Batman's universe they're very, very one sided. There's very few characters that that have that like that that can be redeemed or can have multi can be multifaceted. Catwoman is definitely one of those characters who can be multifaceted. If you look at certain incarnations of like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, they can be multifaceted because of the way they were portrayed with like with Gotham City Sirens, how they're not really, you know, just straight evil people. But then there's there's other characters too and like Harvey Dent has been shown like that at certain points. One year later comes to mind where he was not necessarily a homicidal maniac. And then we have the Riddler, who also has been shown as, you know, he's gone through, he's rehabilitated himself and not just become like this murderous person who sets death traps. I think the problem is that ever, and this is this is a horrible way to go about doing this, but I honestly believe that the connection that the Riddler is the way he is stems from the popularity of the Arkham games. Because in the Arkham games, he's like he slowly gravitates from going from just a bag, uh, you know, a guy who's super smart, trying to prove that he's the same, he's on the same level as Batman, or trying to prove that he's smarter than Batman. To over the course of those those games, he slowly turns into this guy who like is holding people in death traps, and you know, people are gonna die if if Batman doesn't save them, and it, it becomes less about how smart he is and how how difficult the puzzles can be and the the stakes that the puzzles have. And the thing is, like, I feel like the popularity of those games have bled into the comics in some ways because I never really looked at the Riddler and said, yes, like, don't get me wrong. I've always known that the Riddler could kill people, but the Riddler just straight up seems like a guy who just doesn't care about anything anymore. He just cares about himself and anybody can die. Like, and the thing is, like, most villains can obviously be like that. That's not, it's not a problem. But the problem is that's not how uh, it's not how he's always been portrayed. But like, there's a million characters if you need a murderer. Exactly. You know what I'm saying exactly. Like, if you want a guy dropping bodies, go get Victor Zaz. Yeah. You know, like to me, it, I agree with everything you just said. By the way, I guess you could, the Arkham games probably are a big part of that. But doesn't it seem like they that this is not me trying to bash on Tom King or Scott Snyder or anybody else that's wrote the Riddle recently? Right, but it doesn't seem like they're writing like a Joker eyes Riddler. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Doesn't this? I mean, like if the the Riddler was always the guy that like if you got in the way of his little trap, or even I'll go farther and say if his trap needed someone to die, see Dark Knight, Dark City, right? Like if he needed someone to die to pull off whatever he was working on, he didn't really care, but he didn't go out of his way just to you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like to kill people. Yeah, I don't know. It just and it seems like this is, like, aren't we, like, not too far away from the natural evolutionist character, like, the next time we read him, like, Riddler goes on 200-person killing spree? Like... Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like that. And I feel like... It, the problem is that I feel like the comics have built towards this because I remember somebody bringing up in some interview with Tom King about the portrayal of the Riddler, and he basically said, well, I'm modeling my Riddler off of what Scott Snyder did in Zero Year. This is the same, this is the same Riddler. And I thought to myself, okay, well, that makes sense because that right. Riddler was very similar to, you know, that it's a very similar portrayal of the Riddler, but that doesn't mean that portrayal was the correct version of the Riddler. The problem is that I feel like nowadays writers have this tendency to 
stick with something that it, it was popular. And, and, I, and I see that knowing that that's not always the case, but like just just looking at the portrayal of the Riddler and then knowing that Tom King you, is using the version that Scott Snyder did in the New 52, even though Rebirth was not necessarily meant to keep all this stuff from the New 52. And part of it has to do with the fact that every time DC does one of these things, whether it be the New 52 with, the end, with Flashpoint or whether it be Rebirth, Whenever they do these things, they always end up saying like, "Oh, we're going to keep certain aspects, and we're not going to keep certain aspects, and we're you know we're going to keep the things that make sense for the creative teams and this and the other." And in reality, you can't do that. You have to stick. If you're going to change things, you're going to have to change a lot of things. You can't just sit there and pick and choose because it's just dumb that way. Like in the beginning of the New Fifty Two, I can't I can't honestly remember. I, I no, I can't honestly count how many times scott snyder had said we're not changing all of the stuff that you you've known and you'd have appreciated with batman but then like two years into new 52 people were like but when did this happen if you're claiming that this is only he's only been around for this long and then all of a sudden like he just started he just there was no questions asked about that stuff because he towed the line for so long saying the same thing that people just stopped asking him those questions and then there was no explanation of how no Man's Land, Nightfall, all that stuff still happened as he was preaching at the beginning of the New 52. Tom King had the opportunity to basically take stuff in a different direction and chose to basically just make it a continuation of what Scott Snyder was doing, which I'm not complaining. I haven't, I haven't overtly disliked what Tom King has done. There are certain aspects, just like there were certain aspects of what Scott Snyder was doing that I, did, that I don't like. But the thing is... I feel as if Tom King has been using some of the the models for some of his characters off of Scott Snyder's when I don't know that that necessarily fits within. The thing is, the Riddler as a homicidal maniac has to to be that way just because of the War of Jokes and Riddles. There's no way he cannot be a homicidal maniac, but yet go to war with the Joker and be that, like, that counter for the joker it's just not possible yeah i agree i just don't think that the war jokes riddles is very good i don't like yeah yeah your reasoning is fine and i think that zero year certainly had its issues but this is a at least that riddler to me was making some sense of it he was trying to take over this you know yeah and remember the whole thing every day he'd bring out these police officers and make them try to solve a riddle right like this joker just i mean joker i even said it this guy just seems like, like, and I think you're right. To make a counterpoint to fight the Joker, he had to be as bad as the Joker, but it's the wrong character. Like, you could find any, uh, uh, make the Penguin back to his own old crime, super crime boss ways and have him fight Joker. Okay, I can live, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, or just like have somebody who's not, like, you, you could take somebody who's not to the same level of popularity, and, that, but is still like, as could be as evil, like I consider Black Mask as crazy as the as the Joker and, and sure. homicidal. Yeah. He's not as as big and popular as Joker, but you could do that, and then you're not jeopardizing the the characterizations of that specific character. But wouldn't you be it be a far more interesting story instead of having two wackadoos that are now both Batman's two biggest villains are now just both nut jobs who like to kill people? Would it have been far more interesting if you had the Joker? homicidal maniac joker and the riddler still like the smart nuanced character and have those two characters fight against each other like yeah one trying to outthink one trying to crazy it up eh. exactly instead of having it just be a, a war you know, about how many bodies can we drop 
it be like an actual legitimate one side's fighting for one cause and one side's fighting for another cause and it's like the craziness versus the the intelligence yeah i mean i don't know i just and again he's definitely not the focal point of the story but it just really irritated to me okay so i'm gonna give this one a total of two out of five i'm gonna give this one two and a half out of five but i'm not far behind you. all right turn over on the website corbin gave it two and a half so it's gonna give batman a total of two and a half out of five batterings let's move into our next book detective comics detective comics number 977 written by james tyan art by javier fernandez and eddie barrows the issue starts out a few years from now. Tim Drake is a student at Ivy University along with his friend Sebastian Ives. The two walk the halls of the college, Tim jokingly hinting about his former secret life as Red Robin, unbeknownst to Ives. When they hear that Gotham has been redeclared no man's land by the president of the USA because of Batman's actions. Tim rushes to his room and pulls out his Red Robin uniform, declaring that Kate can't just let this happen. Over at Wayne Manor, the colony's helicarriers order Batman to surrender and deactivate all defenses. An aging Batman retorts, make me, and works with Brother Eye to continue his plans. Without his mask, Batman activates seemingly lethal explosive traps in the manor, but as he takes down Bat-Soldier after Bat-Soldier, Kate shoots him from behind. She offers him the chance to surrender, telling him she doesn't want to kill him, but Bruce refuses again and she shoots him point-blank. Red Robin breaks in furiously and Batwoman and Tim Drake face off. Back in the present, Ulysses the General Armstrong ends the simulation by Brother Eye and tells Tim that the future will end that way if they don't take action. He shows Tim around his lair built with the money he earned while designing weapons for the colony. Tim asks Ulysses what he wants and the General responds that what he wants he wants to be more than just a minor villain in Batman and Red Robin's history. He wants to shape the future. Tim tells Ulysses he needs to think, and though the general is disappointed, he tells Tim to leave. He, he lets Tim leave to think about it. However, he urges Tim not to wait too long as Batwoman has officially joined the colony. At Fox Tech, Tam Fox yells at Luke for leaving to join the colony. For most of the next year, Luke smiles and explains that she can run the company better than he can, and Batwing needs to do some good in the world. Kate promises that she'll keep Luke in line, and Tam agrees, embracing her. Jean-Paul, Kate, Luke, and Tam go out to eat while Kate's lieutenants head back to the airship. As they are teleported to the ship, the two colony soldiers chat, but as they suit up, their armor is taken over by Brother Eye. Tim joins Batman on a rooftop as he surveils some bad guys below. Bruce tells Tim he won't rebuild the Belfry, and Tim says that it's, he's not there to fight. Instead, he wants to rebuild his life, skills, and his relationships. Batman smiles and tells him to take the two guys on the right, before they can jump in, the two Brother Eye-controlled colony soldiers jump in and start decimating the room with machine gun fire as the General uses them to push Tim towards his plan. Alright, so this is the second of the second issue in the six-issue final arc, Batman Eternal, clearly focusing on Tim Drake. So first of all, I want to talk about the simulation. Do you think for a moment the simulation was not fixed? It certainly feels like the General would not be giving a simulation that is based all on complete facts. I'm sure there is some rigging in it, but I will say this. I think there is, like every great lie, there's a, probably a big grain of truth here. And remember, we already have um, future Bat Tim that wanted to kill Kate. Yep. Right? Yep. So I'm certain that the general has embellished it, maybe, to help. 
but he may not need to because he's kind of corroborated. He's almost corroborated by Tim himself from the future. I, I agree with that. I think that there's definitely some lines of truth in this. The problem is how much of it is the truth. I feel like there is definitely some stuff that the general is, is exaggerating. But based off of what happens, it's not far-fetched to believe that this could be what happens because of what we already know from the future, Tim, like you said. The other thing I want to talk about is there was a bunch of little callbacks throughout the issue to various different things. Sebastian Ives, for those of you who are unfamiliar with 90s comics, Sebastian Ives was actually a classmate of Tim Drake back in the day, and he was one of the main supporting characters when it came to stuff dealing with school for Tim Drake in the Chuck Dixon run of Robin and things like that. So that was kind of cool. There was also uh, the fact that the general specifically says that he wants to be more than just like a minor villain between Batman and Red Robins. It's kind of interesting because the general up to this point has always been just a minor villain or a villain for Tim Drake, but still not a major, major villain. No, by no stretch yeah. of the human imagination. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of funny that they they call that out as they, they point out that there is history there without explicitly saying what the history is. Another, another thing that I thought was interesting was the introduction or reintroduction, that is, of Tam Fox. I believe the last time we saw Tam Fox, she was in a coma, but I could be wrong there, but I feel like she was. That sounds right. So she's around. It's just interesting because Tyne likes to throw these little bits and pieces in. Like, there was no reason he needed to show Sebastian Ives, but he did because he knows the character exists and there's no reason to not include a character that already exists. And I love stuff like that. I love when writers choose to do to have those callbacks to thing to characters that already pre-exist and predate the writer coming on the book. It shows, it builds a, a larger universe and a larger world for those characters. So I appreciate that kind of stuff. The other thing, the last bit I want to talk about, and I I, I made a point, we, we talked about this last episode, how we're going to make a point to talk about the art more often. So we actually had two different artists uh, working on this book. Eddie Barrows provides the basically the almost the first half of the book in relation to the simulation. And then we have Javier Fernandez taking the second half of the comic, which is kind of the present day. I generally have an issue when there's two different artists, except in this specific format. When the t story is told in a manner where it depicts two different time periods, and then you have two different artists take the individual time periods, I think that's the best way to do an issue that requires two artists. Now, that's not to say that that doesn't happen very often, quite honestly, because most of the time when you see two artists on a, on a book, it's one's just filling in the gaps because the other one wasn't able to finish or something. And that's normally what happens. But it's nice to see Tynion actually write a story where he splits it up, where he can get two different artists to write half, almost half of the book, and each each of them draw draw half the book, and then in turn gives the artist a little bit of like leeway because instead of having to do a full comic on top of a full comic on top of a full comic over and over again, they can have this little split where they do that. So part of that has to do with Tynion being considerate of his artists, which you don't see very often in a lot of the other titles that we cover. And part of it is the fact that stuff like this works best, honestly. And their art styles, Eddie Burroughs and Javier Fernandez, it's not too jarring where it's out, uh, you know, one's distinctly different than the other. I mean, like there's there are differences but they're not too different where it's jarring when you go from 
the past, you know, the future to the present. So, what did you think of the two artists on the title? This is always the preferred way. Uh, time frames, flashbacks. If you can't get that close enough, then maybe two different stories happen in two different parts of the world with different characters. You know, yeah. I mean, I think Barrows is always fine. Yeah, they the and and their styles, like you said, they weren't so different that I was like, what the world? This doesn't make sense. You know, like pretty good. And remember Batman that we just. Yep. Review 2 had the same thing going on, but did not have the fortunate aspect yep. of having two different stories. So I didn't bring up the art there because this is very much the, you know, yeah, I got exactly. something nice to say. You know, don't say nothing at all. But I think they both work well here. And in fact, I think sometimes this may be the preferred method for me. When you have two different timeline stories, this one was very linear where we had the time, the, the computer simulation, then we had not the computer simulation, right? But there is stories where they go back and yeah. forth. Yep. Some of Snyder's multi-time frame stories that it's nice because when you see the art, you know what I'm saying? You instantly know, okay, this is the past, this is now. So yeah, I, I actually kind of like it when they use it. In so that's all I've got for this issue. I'm going to give Detective a total of three and a half out of five. Three out of five. And over on the site, Ian gave it three and a half. So that's going to give Detective Comics a total of three and a half out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over the site for Greater Gotham. First up, on March 21st, we have Main TV Books. We already talked about Batman number 43. Nightwing number 41. Nightwing faces off against the Judge for the fate of Bloodhaven as the Untouchable storyline comes to a close. This is you by Paul. He gave it 3 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Batwoman number 13. Kate stubbornly ignores the advice of Julia and the Queen of the Many Arms of Death is revealed. This is by Tony. He gave it 2 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. Harley Quinn number 40, Killer Croc squares off against Mr. Freeze as Harley breaks free of Hugo Strange's grasp and returns to Coney Island. This is by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Secondary TBU books, Batman the Brave and the Bold, Batman and Wonder Woman number two, while Diana plays Peacemaker with Captain Firth and King McCool. No, I'm not making up those names. No, you're not. Bruce finds the cause of the terror in Gotham. This is by Tony. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up and... Since we're having a new focus on art, the art is super cool in these books. Yes, like crazy detail. Crazy it's cool. In, yeah, he he clearly spent a massive amount of time getting ahead to make sure that this book is on time. The second issue came out what's like just under two weeks ago at this point, and I saw on Twitter that he was working on issue number six. So he clearly worked way ahead of time, and obviously his art style requires that oh. to be the case. So. They are crazy detailed. I mean, yeah. even if you, for some reason, if you're listening to a Batman pod, comic book podcast, I can't imagine you wouldn't pick up a Batman comic book. But if you have an inversion to Wonder Woman or something, like, the art's worth the price of admission. Oh, yeah. All right, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, number 5. Batman and the Turtles face Venom-powered Donatello as Bane consolidates his power over New York City. So by Paul, he gave it 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Batman Sins of the Father number two, the body count rises, and another villain is revealed as Batman investigates the motives behind Deadshot's actions. This is by Dan. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Main DC Universe book, Super Sons number 14, Robin and Superboy track down Lois Lane in order to stop her assassination at the hands of Talia al Ghul. This is by Bill. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. 
Justice League number 41, after the Watchtower crashes to Earth, the Justice League desperately try to stay one step ahead of their legions of enemies. This is by Ian. He gave it 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. Secondary DC Universe books, Bombshells United number 14, which includes digital chapters number 27 through 28. The Bombshell versions of Elise Yao, Black Canary, Frankie Charles, Batgirl, and Killer Croc all appear in the issue. Damage number three, Batman appears in the Batcave at the very end of the issue. Injustice 2, number 22, which includes digital chapters number 43 through 44. The Injustice versions of Athanasia al Ghul, Damian Wayne, Ra's al Ghul, Deadshot, Killer Croc, Man Bat, Orca, Batman, Harley Quinn, Batgirl, Black Canary, and the Batcave all appear in the issue. Superman number 43, Nobody, Bat Zaro, and the Bizarro versions of Robin, called Rob Zaro, Goliath, who is called Tiny, Riddler and Scarecrow all appear in the issue. Moving over to March 28th, main TBU books. We already talked about the type comics. Batgirl number 21. Batgirl solves a mystery with the help of her with the help of her father, Commissioner Gordon. This was by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm gonna give this one a neutral. Neutral. Batman Beyond number 18. Real quick, let me just say this. Okay. I think at this point, I think a, a massive story that should be told is Commissioner Gordon. Finding out that Barbara is back, right? I, I just feel like For, yeah, that needs to happen. It's we're here, right? Like, yeah. We, we always. How many times have we had this discussion? Just we had this, on this a bunch podcast? of times. But no, I mean, it, I mean, is Commissioner Gordon stupid? Because we treat him like he's stupid. Yeah. Like, you know. And I just as I was reading this issue of Batgirl, I just kept thinking, like, like I know we talked about this not even that long ago. I want to say it was within the last year we had this. We had a discussion about this. It just comes across as like at this point it's just stupid that he you know that they, they, he doesn't know. I mean like if there's going to be repercussions, just tell the story in a way that makes sense. Then let the repercussions happen. I'm not saying like you don't have to have James Gordon definitively know that Bruce Wayne is Batman either, but you could go that route too. I mean like there's not really anything holding it back. I think there's a story there, a pretty big story there that could be interesting for anybody. And the thing is, like, this isn't a story that would have worked when she was Oracle. It just wouldn't have worked. No. Because she was Oracle. But as Batgirl, that is a story that needs to be told. And it feels like, at least with the direction the character was going in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, that she was going back towards that Oracle role. I don't see that in the Batgirl series, but those two books tend to completely counteract each other and not necessarily go in the same same route. But based off of what's been shown in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, which I've appreciated a lot more than the pages of Batgirl, I really believe that the character is heading towards that Oracle role. Not that she can't go out as Batgirl anymore, but I feel like she's going to be leading a team as Oracle more so. And if that ends up being the case, they really need to tell the story of her father finding out that she's Batgirl. That is something that just needs to happen. Well, in this world of comics where we have such contrived BS storylines sometimes, right? Like, kill Damien, bring him back in six months, right? Like, where they're always trying to find the big story, aren't you kind of... I'm almost shocked that this hasn't happened. Like, It's almost like somebody's afraid of Gordon knowing something. For real, yeah. Like, we, we will kill characters, we'll do terrible things to them... We'll have him put in wheelchairs. We'll have people assaulted, decapitated. But Commissioner Gordon figuring out his daughter is Batgirl somehow like the, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, yeah. like, I mean, it's just weird. Yeah. All right. Batman Beyond, number 18. Batman and 10 appear to be at the mercy of payback. 
but unforeseen help in the form of a new Robin might be on the horizon. She's by Adele. He gave it two out of five and gives it a neutral. Abstain. Mother Panic Gotham AD number one. Violet Page has to deal with the changing of everything post Milk Wars in Gotham City. Friends and enemies have been altered by the event. How does Mother Panic fit into the new world? This is by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Uh, no secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books. Teen Titans number 18. The Teen Titans try to reason with Beast Boy, but end up facing an army instead. This is by Bill. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Justice League of America number 27. Under Mount Justice, the team tries to protect a hidden pocket of energy away from the machinations of Kronos. This is by Tony. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up. Suicide Squad number 38. The Suicide Squad finds themselves disbanded and replaced by the new super soldier, the Wall. But what happens when the government loses control of the Wall? This is by Paul. He gave it one out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Thumbs down. This book needs to be disbanded. Trinity number 20. Diana, Bruce, and Clark are in pursuit of the three data codes that lead to an imprisoned Steve Trevor. This is by Tony. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Dark Knight's Metal number six. Members of the Just League overcome differences with former adversaries, become godlike, and break the multiverse as we know it. <laughs> this was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. This, this is just rock and roll comic books, man. It's so much fun. Seriously. Like... Is there some of it that is totally ridiculous? Yes. Absolutely. And it's it's great, though. I love it. Yeah. The thing is, like, it's definitely, like, here's the thing. There's definitely elements of it that I would say I didn't like. But the thing is, overall, it's an enjoyable story. And that's what matters to me. Like, I want to read something that's fun to read. Like, you can tell that Snyder is having fun using some of these characters, like, there's a part in Dark Knight's Metal 6 where, like, all these different universe uh, or all these other Earth Batmans appear. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely zero reason they need to be there. Nope, and they not are not there for that long. But they are all there <laughs> because he wants them to be because he's having fun. And I can appreciate that because, that you know, if you if you have the ability to use all these characters that you're probably never going to use and they allow you to do it, why not do it? I mean, like, hundred percent what it comes down to it. So. Like, Plastic Man even comes off as kind of cool, right? Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, it's – is there parts of it too? I agree. There's some of them like, well, that – I don't know when you do that. But on its entirety, this is fun. And I think that when this comes out in collected edition, this will be a fun one. Like, I don't we, – you've all got – we've all got our favorites that we go back and reread from time to time, right? I think this is one that if you pull off the shelf in a year, will be fun to read. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. All right, Doomsday Clock number four, locked up in Arkham, Warshack reminisces about his past and what led him to take the mask. So you by Jessica, she gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. I'm going to give it a thumbs up, and it should have been called The Secret Origin of Rorschach 2. Exactly. Because that is what this issue, this, this, the only problem I have with it, and I, I, I wonder if it's the same thing to you. I don't think this is bad. I'm giving it a thumbs up because I like it. I liked it too. We just forgot the rest of the story for the whole issue, basically. Exactly, and that's my problem yeah. with it. It's not that the issue is bad. It's not bad. The art is amazing. The writing is amazing. It's that the overall story is, it feels like it just got halted very suddenly. It did, no, it, did, it didn't feel like it. It did. You get a couple panels at the beginning and a couple panels in the end. This really does feel like, you know, I know we're not fans of this, and, and I'm sure that there's a reason we read this, but I was kind of irritated. One that, because we're only getting Doomsday Clock, what, every other month now? Yeah. Right? So now we're going to have to go three months between what's going on. Exactly. With the story, which is annoying. 
I almost think that this may have worked better as a one shot or something like the secret history of Warshack. Oh, and I'm just saying that because like you, i like this story so much. I want to know what's going to happen next. Exactly. And, and that's the biggest problem. I think it's been a while since we've seen the, or since we got number three, number three came out in February or, uh, no, it actually came out in January. January. Yeah. yeah, January. So it's been two months since we got the last issue. We get this issue. We learn about who Rorschach is. The problem is that it wasn't that big of a surprise. There was plenty of people who were hypothesizing online that who who the Rorschach was. And I won't ruin it for those of you who haven't no, yeah, read I won't, it. I won't but, but there was plenty of people out there who were hypothesizing and saying this is who is underneath the mask. We, we, we already know. And so it wasn't that big of a surprise. It wasn't like a oh wow, I'm so yeah. I, I, I have I have I, the the wool's been re- removed from my eyes or anything like that. So the thing is, like in that regard of it, it wasn't a surprise. But the fact that I waited two months to get this issue, and I'm knowing that I'm not going to get another issue until May, it just makes it that much. It just hurts the overall story. And there was there was a comment that I read or so, somebody uh, that I was reading some comments on the series itself and people were talking about how the you know Dark Knight's Metal number 6 came out a month after or two months after Dark Knight's Metal 5 because that also came out in January the catch the difference is in my opinion was that the one shot that they did with Dark Knight's Rising kept the story going the, yeah the Wild Hunt that yeah. kept the story going and and continued it on it wasn't like a tie in they did they actually kept the story moving it just wasn't the conclusion like you expected it to be. It just was leading to the conclusion. It was like a prelude to the last issue in some ways. But the thing is, like with Doomsday Clock, they're not gonna. They, they already promised that they weren't gonna do tie-ins. They weren't gonna do one shots and all that other stuff. So the thing is, like, it's just frustrating because at this point, falling behind only after three issues sucks. Is it sucks so yeah. bad? I mean, like, and it's gonna hurt the overall story. It really will because now you. Know, of course it will. Because now every single issue for the next, we've got eight issues left after after this issue. Every issue is going to be spread out over two months. So we literally are going to have to wait an additional 16 months before we get to the end of the story. Which just saying that out loud is just demoralizing. It's ins- it, it, it's demoralizing. And, and like I said, I have to give it a thumbs up though. And I think, think you agree. It's brilliant and it's beautiful. I just yes, it is. I just wanted it to go somewhere else. That's all. Yeah, you know. And, the, and and honestly, and I'll say the only reason I give it a neutral, and it's right there on the border between neutral and thumbs up, is just because of that's the outside situational stuff. The comic itself is enjoyable, and honestly, if I was reading this right after issue number three and I was ready to read issue number five, it probably would have been a thumbs up. It's just that other stuff is influences my ratings way too much. So. If issue five was hitting my pull bo- pull list in a week, wouldn't have bothered me at all. Exactly, yeah. All right, secondary DC Universe books. Gotham City Garage, number 12, digital chapters number 23 through 24, which is the final issue in the series. The Gotham City Garage versions of Batgirl, Harley Quinn, Nightwing, Batman, and Red Hood all appear in the issue. Mira, Queen of Atlantis, number 2. Batman makes a brief cameo alongside the Justice League in the issue. The Hellblazer, number 20. Huntress appears in the issue as she's going to be an ongoing character for the next couple of issues. The Silencer number three has Talia al Ghul appear in the issue as she continues to be a mainstay in that series. And then finally, TBU trades in hardcovers over the past two weeks. Batman New Gotham Volume 2 trade paperback. Batman Tales of the Man Bat trade paperback. Justice League Task Force Volume 1 Purification Plague trade paperback. 
Batman Noir, The Dark Knight Strikes Again, hardcover. Batman Gothic, New Edition, trade paperback. Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77, trade paperback. Batgirl Volume 3, Summer of Lies, trade paperback. DC Comics Bombshells Volume 6, War Stories, trade paperback. And DC Superhero Girls box set. So that is everything that released over the past weeks. If we gave a thumbs up, thumbs down, neutral rating, all of those books have full reviews and synopses over on the website for you to check out. We have new comic reviews posting Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday every single week. So be sure to check that stuff out on the site. And a quick note here. If you heard Dustin rattle off all those graphic novels that just got released and you're in the comic book shop and you're a Batman fan and you haven't read Gothic, you should probably yes. do that. Yeah, you know Gothic saying? is one of those <laughs> must-reads. Yeah, if you haven't read that and it's, there's a new copy out now, you should probably do that. Okay, so to go into our listener Q&As, before we get into listener Q&As, I want to do a quick promotion. So before, I'm going to set this up real quick. So if you listen to any of the other podcasts, you always hear me at the end of the podcast rattle off all the, some of the other podcasts we have over on the site. We have all kinds of stuff, Bat Books for Beginners, Back with the Oracle, Bat Fans, Bruce Wayne's World, even the Gotham Chronicle. But there's also a, a podcast called Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. They are putting together a massive radio drama. Rob, who runs that podcast, he is putting together a radio drama that consists of over 20 different voices, different 20 different people lending their voices to this radio drama for a lonely place of living, which is the Tim Drake story that appeared in Detective Comics. Put He's putting this together, and it's going to release in the month of May, and it's going to release every single week, four episodes during the course of May, so if you are into radio dramas or you like books on tape or anything like that, or you listen to us and you just like comics and want to appreciate something like A Lonely Place of Living in a completely different format, then be on the lookout for Robin Everyone Loves a Drake, a awesome radio drama that's coming in May. So we have a trailer for that that we're going to play for you now. Coming soon from Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, a Batman Universe Podcast Network production. It's the radio drama you've demanded. Well, it's the one Rob produced and made into a four-part weekly radio drama. From the pages of Detective Comics comes A Lonely Place of Living. Where in the world is Tim Drake? Red Robin faces a crucial decision, escape the most devious prison ever devised, or find himself abandoned beyond time and space for all eternity. Not really a choice, right? But when he finds out just who is locked in there with him, Tim's world will change in ways he never imagined. In the biggest undertaking Robin Everyone Loves the Drake has ever attempted, ELTD Theater is in full swing, with over 20 voice actors from a variety of popular podcasts lending their talents to make the comics come alive. Featuring Justin Kowalski as Batman. And all the time he's been out there, lost and trapped, knowing that at the end of the day his mentor was one of the world's greatest detectives on the planet. He knew I was coming. I wasn't! And I can't stop until I bring him home. Andrew Leland as Alfred. Master Bruce, you need to sleep even just a few hours. I'm getting ready to pull out one of Dr. Crane's more narcotic gases from the laboratory if you continue like this. Andy Gijanova as Nightwing. Robin? You want me to go back to being Robin? I can't. Just as I can't go back to being 13 again. But you're right. Batman needs me. Maybe instead of arguing with him, I should try and help him. Olivia Mullins as Batwoman. Unconscious the next roof over. We could turn him over to Argus. I know they'll want someone to answer for his crimes. Stella Bowman as Spoiler. Hey, Dad. How's your night going? Still dead? Yeah, thought so. 
the irredeemable Shag as Brother I. Brother I is now online. Michael Bailey as Mr. Oz. Your mentor. He recently learned that you were alive, that you were trapped. But search as he might, he cannot find you. He hasn't slept in five nights, save for moments that he nods off in the chair. It consumes him. Rob Myers as Red Robin. I thought, I thought I would impress him. The way that I pieced it all together, and God, I wanted to impress him. I'd only met him once, just as a boy. I was terrified of the circus, but he calmed me down, and he told me that he would be performing just for me. And many, many more. The first episode hits the first Wednesday in May, so prepare your ears for the story that changes everything for Tim Drake. Hold on tight, Tim. As tight as you can to every moment. Because this will all be over sooner than you can imagine. Sounds great. Yeah, so with that, we're going to jump straight into our listener Q&As. very first one we have comes from stephanie i love you guys your discussion on episode 243 was a healthy but heated discussion this week your friendship is still intact and you take the time to acknowledge you were feeling hurt apologize and forgive it's a healthy way to deal with conflict that is missing from today's knee-jerk and indignant reaction culture definitely agree with that that definitely is something that i think a lot of people do not take the time to do and I'm not saying that just because I, I, I was the one who said I was hurt but yes it is something that uh, a lot of people don't take time to discuss they just tend to move on the other part of her comment says also what was up with Ivy eating the fly in Batman number 43 was it to cover up the peaceful non-violent anti-climatic resolution I like the storyline but that fly threw me for a loop I didn't really like the storyline so <laughs> like uh, yeah the fly thing was weird too but there's and I, Dustin, I know you do this too because I do it. There's a point where if I just don't like the story, I just chalk any other weirdness going up to uh, what the hell's going. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Uh, at that point, honestly, Stephanie, I was just like, I'm dumb. I'm I'm out. So yeah, I think the thing is, I like the storyline until 43. I think that's the biggest thing. Like where the direction was going for the last couple of issues, it was interesting. I was on board, and then this issue came, and I was just like, I. It, it, and I hate to say this, but it's, it goes back to what I've said in the past about Tom King not sticking his landings when it comes to it's, some of the story arcs. Dude, it's every time now, though. Right? It's not every time. The thing is, like, that really? Superman story... Well, that Superman story that he did, that two-issue Superman story... That didn't really story, have an ending. It was two issues. Like I know, I know. I think the problem is it's when it's more than two issues, and that and that's a really bad thing in the in the world of comic books. But the two-issue story, Superman story was good. I didn't have a problem with the Wonder Woman story overall. I think the thing is, like, I think when he does these smaller stories, they work perfectly. When he does the longer stories, and it's sad because three issues is not really that long in the larger scheme of things. But when it comes to certain ones, it honestly feels like if it's not two issues, he has issues sticking those landings. I just... I walked into Batman thinking, I can't wait to see how this is going to get resolved, and walked out of it thinking, that's it? Ugh. Uh, Yeah, I mean... It's actually starting to this is going to sound terrible, but it's actually starting to poison the first couple issues for me, right? Because this Ivy story and and I, not trying to be a jerk, but just full disclosure, 
when I read the first issue, which I did like, I'm like, eh, my initial thought wasn't, oh man, this is, this is cool. I wonder where this is go. I swear to you. My initial thought was, I wonder how he's going to screw this one up. Like, and I still, I feel almost bad saying that, but there's a point where like, and then never, like the stuff never comes back. Like, where's Gotham girl? Right? Like, yeah, that's been forever. What That was that I mean, we're 43 issues in now. Either there's two things with her. Either she's not going to pop up in Batman until after the wedding, or she's not going to pop up in Batman at all, and she's just going to pop up in that Sanctuary series that he's going to do, and that's the next time we're going to see her. That's the only thing. Yeah, but think. that's like the longest of the long play. Well, I know, I know. Like that's that's worse than Snyder saying that you know this happened way back five years ago, and I was playing this all along. Ugh, no, this is just. I mean, yes. We both thought the fly was weird, but it was not my biggest problem with the book. All right. Next comes from Bob. First, he quotes a quote that you said, Ed, in the last episode where he says, Sometimes when we don't like stories, the art is still fantastic. And then he goes on to say, Like, for instance, War of Jokes and Riddles. Clay Man was amazing on that. It actually held my interest quite a while to the point I was surprised you guys didn't like it. As a younger reader, I was attracted to books by the art of Jim Lee, Layfield, McFarlane, and the innovators of the 90s. Nowadays, I need much more story to hold me, but I still appreciate the art, more so and more style even. As far as reviewing the art, all that's needed is what did you guys think of the art? Trust me, the discussion will fold unnaturally. If anything, have each person pick one panel from a book to help frame with their opinion. Obviously, Bob is talking about how we talked about last time, how we don't talk about the art as much as we did. I made a point to talk about the art with Detective Comics. Batman, there wasn't a whole lot to discuss. I didn't want to talk about the art. Just, yeah, we just... As Ed specifically pointed out, sometimes when you don't have something good to say, it's just not. It's just better to not say anything at all. So, but, but Bob is right, by the way, because we were even just banging on more jokes and riddles a couple minutes ago about the the way that the character of the Riddler was wrote. Right, Clayman's art in that is really good. Like, it is. It yeah. looks the book. The book looks fantastic. It does. It, it's great. It looks great. The art looks like it's it's too good to be with that story. Uh, yes. If that makes sense, yeah. No, because, like, I, I will fall for this sometimes. Like, I get the trades even though I shouldn't, but it doesn't matter. That's one where it could fool me again. Like, if I picked it up in five years and I thought – because when I look through a trade, like, before – sometimes I don't read them all, like, through – like, sometimes you're flipping through them, you know what I mean? I see the art. I'm like, man, the art was really good. That book could fool me in four or five years because I could, like, flip through like, well, why did I like this? This art's really good. And then sit down and read it again and be like, no, that's what it was. All right, next, Jessica comes in to say, I'm just dropping by to say that concerning the male-female discussion, yay to the Bensons taking over Green Arrow. So what she's referring to is that Julie and Shauna Benson, who were previously on Batgirl and Birds of the Prey, their new project that was announced is that they're going to be taking over Green Arrow, I believe, in July. I think it's July or August. It's, it's, it's sometime in the summers when they're starting on the series. They are writing the annual in May, and then it was interestingly pointed out, so their, their their project got announced at WonderCon, but it was interestingly pointed out that out of all of the series that are out right now from either Marvel or DC, the Bensons are the only females to actually be writing a solo male title. And I thought that was crazy because... I, Is it really? Yeah. I had no idea that that was true, but somebody pointed out and there was a couple of editors that like retweeted it out and stuff like that. So I'm guessing it's true. I have no way. I, I don't have the time to research to verify that. But I'm pretty sure whoever check that. did that yeah. checked into it before they said that. But, yeah, I mean, that that's that's crazy. I mean, props to them. 
I believe they did a great job of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I feel like they were doing a really good job. And honestly, it, it was kind of sad to see the sales going down for whatever reason they were. I think that they had some issues with like the Gus Yell Oracle. I think some people didn't like that character and that might have shied some people away. But there was a reason why they were using that character and there was payoff for it. I think it's the war of attrition with those books. Like, the book was good. It was good. And, I mean, it still is because we still got a couple more months left. It's not over till May. But, yes, um, I, I definitely, between that and Batgirl, Birds of Prey has been way better, in my opinion. Way better. Okay. And then Jessica also said, and about art, one easy way to start is by choosing a favorite moment, page or panel, and thinking what in the art made it my favorite like say it was the position of the characters or the expression in one of their faces an unusual angle contrasting color choice maybe just forget it's a comic and see it as a piece of illustration just describe what you see and you'll probably get there museum guides will usually use what do you see what do you like technique with visiting groups so it probably works it probably does and honestly we're probably going to use some of Jessica's suggestions and Bob's suggestions uh, going forward because as we've said in the last episode art is a big deal that we I like I said I tend to gravitate more towards the writing I know Ed's like that too and I know Stella's like that but yes in general we do need to make a consorted effort to focus on the art a little bit more because it is a comic book and it's not just a a novel but that being said some of these suggestions are great suggestions and we will definitely use some of them going forward. With that, that is all of our listener Q&A. So before I do the rundown at the end of the episode, let me suggest to you out there, uh, everybody who's listening, that you can support us on Patreon. We are currently sitting at, I want to say, like 50% funded. If we get 100% funded, uh, we are we would have the ability to produce some video podcasts. Also, one of the things that's holding us back from relaunching the normal podcast is finding an audio editor which costs money, which the money from Patreon is used for that audio editor. Um, So if you are so inclined, you can donate as little as a dollar every single month to TBU just by heading over to Patreon, supporting us by donating a dollar. You can even do a one-time donation. Those are always helpful too if you don't want to do the reoccurring ones. But honestly, if you set up a reoccurring payment for a dollar or $5 every single month, it's really not that much considering... Outside of the two episodes of the comic cast, you get at least two episodes of Bat Fans. You get at least one episode of Robin Everyone's the Drake, Batgirl the Oracle. You get at least two episodes of Bat Books for Beginners. If Gotham is on the air, you get at least a new episode every single week there. There's a lot of content that we produce, and that's yeah. not even counting all the stuff that we have over on the site, whether it be the coverage of news, the comic reviews that we are always producing. I mean, honestly, if you're reading the comic reviews over on the site instead of going to the store and purchasing the comics, and you're reading our reviews because they're detailed in the synopses that let you know what's going on, that's saving you some money. So even if you could throw four or five bucks towards the site instead of going and picking up one of the comic books that you're not picking up because you're reading our reviews hey we're saving you some money so maybe you can help us out by supporting us with as little as like i said a dollar every single month and then slowly all those all that money adds up and helps us out in funding all kinds of stuff for the site besides doing just uh well some of you have may notice that the logo has changed it's only updated on the social media accounts at this point but the logo costs money we're updating the website with a new direction that's costing money servers every single year cost money audio editing and stuff like that videos stuff that we that we try to put together 
all those extra projects cost money and that's not including all the stuff that the staff puts out you know the time that they dedicate and the amount of effort that it goes into covering certain conventions and things like that which is all out of pocket from the individual staff members so your little donation can help support tbu an enormous amount so please consider that if you have not already so outside of that be sure to check out everything we have on over on the website. We have news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. Um, we have comic reviews and all kinds of other editorials, including reviews of all of the recent animated movies and other movies that have released over the last couple months. So be sure to check those out. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, keep in mind, if you were following us on the Facebook group, that is being shut down. So if you are on there and you, solely, you you figure out that you're no longer receiving updates from TBU, be sure to follow us on our Facebook page, which the link is over on the website. But it's basically facebook.com slash thebamuniverse.net. And then you'll keep getting updates from TBU throughout the day as news posts and new episodes of the different podcasts and things like that post as well. So outside of that, you can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And then you can also leave your comments in the comments section over on the site or on YouTube or on Twitter or wherever. I'm trying to do my best to feed those over to the site as they come in because I get notified wherever you guys leave comments. So just leave comments so that we can talk about those on the next episode. Aside of that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. You've been listening to the Batman vs. Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.